Okay, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, welcome to the uh, Developing for uh, Mobile and Web at, on AWS. My name is uh, Amit Patel. I'm the uh, general manager for uh, mobile at AWS. Uh, in this session, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the full breadth of uh, products and services that AWS offers for mobile and web developers. And uh, we have over 50 sessions throughout this week so that you can dive into any of these topics in more detail. Um, so with that, I'm going to kick off with uh, a few numbers just to sort of um, lay out what's going on in the industry and what we're seeing with our customers. So app downloads continue to grow. Um, there's uh, forecasts out there that show that it's going to grow by 45%. Uh, year over year, um, about 8% a year for the next five years. Um, also from customers, we're hearing that uh, both native and web development is important. Over 80% of our enterprise customers tell us that they're going to do both native and web development. Uh, and that second piece about web development is also driving a lot of adoption in JavaScript and uh, I think many of you will be aware that JavaScript popularity continues to increase. Over 70% of developers are, uh, are using JavaScript uh, for uh, production apps. And then the last one is quite interesting. Um, this has been emerging over the last couple of years. Uh, we've seen in the, uh, since 2016, uh, the adoption of GraphQL has increased by 4x. Um, just a show of hands, how many people are familiar with GraphQL? Okay. Pretty good, more than 20%, so that's good. Uh, we're going to be talking quite a lot about GraphQL in this session. Um, in addition to those numbers, there have been uh, things that developers are asking for um, that uh, kind of fall into kind of four main buckets. So first of all, as I said already, developers want a uh, choice of native and web. For the, uh, for the JavaScript uh, developers, they also want a choice of frameworks like React, React Native, Angular, Ionic, and Vue. Uh, and it's not uh, one size fits all when it comes to how people are building their apps. The second piece is uh, around the, the cloud enablement of your apps. And in this area, developers want an easy way of creating, configuring, provisioning back-end services for their apps without having to be experts on every single cloud service. And, and this is an area where we've kind of been working to deliver an experienced back-end team on your terminal with, uh, with, with, with our products. The third area is uh, scalable and secure back-end for the app. And, and this is uh, primarily around um, how data is uh, stored in the cloud, how it's managed, how it's synchronized, and so on. And then finally, uh, some tooling for CI/CD uh, for testing and deploying and hosting web apps um, uh, is, is also a key ask from, from developers. So to address these four areas, um, we started out on this journey a couple of years ago. And then uh, 12 months ago, around this time 12 months ago, we launched a couple of new uh, products. The first one was AWS Amplify. AWS Amplify is an open source framework. Uh, when we launched it 12 months ago, it was JavaScript only, and you'll see uh, we've added a lot more since then. And the other service we launched was AWS AppSync. Uh, AWS AppSync provides developers with a managed serverless backend for their apps, uh, for their app data. Uh, and 
Since we launched those two things uh, 12 months ago, we've continued to add features to both of them. First, we uh, uh, launched support for uh, uh, a number of frameworks, including Vue, Angular, and Ionic. Then we've launched, uh, in August this year, a CLI toolchain and uh, UI components for Amplify so that you can do drop-in UIs uh, in, in your apps. For AppSync, we've launched a whole number of features. I actually had two slides of them, and I, I kind of condensed it down to a, a couple of things here. Uh, so we have GraphQL uh, API Builder. We have uh, an, uh, HTTP data sources. Um, and uh, GraphQL scalar types uh, as well, and, and, and a huge uh, number of other features. And then finally, uh, a, a month or so ago, we launched uh, a new support for iOS and Android SDKs, uh, and uh, uh, um, specifically around authentication for iOS and Android native developers. Uh, native developers have been asking for that as one of the key features. Auth is generally hard to do, so we've been working very hard to kind of simplify that. So if one, of the, one of the questions I often get asked is, how, how do you kind of uh, fit all of these pieces together? What, 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 is the, uh, what is the model? How should I sort of think about the, uh, the offering from AWS? So first of all, we start with the platforms that we support. We support uh, the main platforms we support are iOS and Android native, uh, web development for your uh, JavaScript-based apps, including PWAs, and React Native as well. Then we have three pillars to our offering. The first one is the Amplify framework. It's an open source framework uh, which has um, libraries, a CLI toolchain, and the UI components. So, so kind of think about it as a, um, uh, a set of tools that you install on your local machine which enable you to build your app. The second piece of it is integration with the uh, backend cloud services. Uh, I've mentioned three here, Cognito, AppSync, and Vinpoint, which is basically the auth, the data, and the analytics. Most apps want this. Most apps need this. Um, we support a number of other services as well straight out of the box, and I'll talk about some of those. And, and the third leg of this is developer tools for the CI-CD piece that I talked about earlier. Uh, deploying and testing apps is important for all developers, and we've been making and uh, delivering tooling in this space. So I want to look at each of these three in a little bit more detail. And I'm going to start with uh, Amplify Framework. And the first piece of the, 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 the framework that I mentioned is the library. Uh, we have focused on front-end developer needs. And what that means is we, uh, we started with a pretty opinionated um, implementation of what the back-end should, should look like so that front-end developers who are not familiar with AWS services can really just kind of plug and play and, and, and start learning and, and, and going fast. We're supporting native app development with our Android and iOS SDKs. We also support JavaScript development across the, a number of frameworks. Uh, and, and as I said, the, the, the approach we've taken is category-based. It's an opinionated uh, implementation of auth and an analytics, and also some, some more experiential services like XR and uh, Interactions, which is the, the, the Lex service chatbots. And uh, for those developers who want to do more, uh, we have escape hatches for all AWS services. So basically, you can use any AWS service in any way that you choose to 
and mix and match with some of these more opinionated uh, uh, implementations. The second piece of this is UI components. We have drop-in UI for uh, things like auth, sign-in, sign-up, photo picker, chatbots, and a few other things. And then the third piece is uh, the CLI. And the CLI is, uh, is there not only for uh, integrating the back-end services with a few simple commands, and we'll show you some of that uh, a little bit later in this session, but the CLI also has a very rich code and type generation capability for GraphQL. Uh, and and this, is, this can be used throughout the app lifecycle in an iterative way to, to kind of uh, minimize the amount of uh, configuration and, and, and back-end con um, uh, uh, work you need to do in order to, to implement a GraphQL back-end. So we're going uh, to dive a little bit deeper into that. Uh, what that, uh, just a few things about the code gen which are interesting. First of all, it allows you to map your database types to your app code, again, uh, fully automated. You can focus on uh, your use cases rather than trying to figure out how the, how the wiring works. We also uh, enforce a, a strong contract across the app code, the API, and the database. Um, and we enable developers to quickly prototype and, and integrate those into the app. OK, so this is just a quick example. So here you can see the, the only thing that developers really need to do is run the amplify add API command, edit and push the schema, and you can see the GraphQL schema here on the, uh, the left-hand side. And then uh, the, um, the CLI will generate the back end, including the, the database, and the client types uh, are generated, and, and, and you get the uh, skeleton code you see on the right-hand side, so you can get straight to writing your code. And uh, I guess for the iOS developers in the room, you'll recognize that to be a, a swift code gen. So that's, uh, that's what we've got in the CLI uh, up until about a week or so ago. Uh, what I want to talk about now is uh, what we launched uh, on Sunday, uh, multi-environments and team workflow. This was one of the biggest requirements that we've heard from the, from the community, that the CLI is, is super powerful, but we want to be able to work with uh, multiple environments like dev, test, and prod. We want to have multiple users and teams working together on the same code with different backends or the same backends. And so uh, we've just launched um, the multi-environment and team workflow feature. It's basically built on Git, so it uses Git-style interactions and product switching, uh, project switching, and you can use it to share between team members. Um, this is all done in open source, so for those of you who are interested in how it works, or if you want to give us feedback, or you want to uh, contribute on GitHub, it's, uh, we, we, work, uh, we, we work in a completely open source model, so uh, we welcome all contributions to this. So the second piece of this is um, the cloud services, and uh, I want to kind of focus on, on, on kind of two buckets of cloud services. First, what I'm going to call the core services. So we have auth, data, and analytics. Data is uh, the main piece of that, which is, which is the AppSync uh, uh, product that we have. And as you can see, AppSync is not an uh, encapsulated database offering. Underneath AppSync are all of these different data databases, data sources, which AppSync can integrate for you. So there's a huge amount of flexibility in what you can do with AppSync, and you can use everything from DynamoDB um, through Elasticsearch and a couple of other things we're going to talk about in a while. And then the second, the second part of this is 
a set of experiences which you can build straight into your app. I mentioned ARVR, I mentioned uh, Lex and interactions. You can also uh, build PubSub and uh, simple things like storage, um, uh, storage uh, retrieval, uh, file and, uh, storage and retrieval. So I wanted to spend a little bit of time to talk about the data piece of this. Um, we launched AppSync 12 months ago. Uh, it's a real-time and offline data uh, service uh, built with GraphQL. I'll come on to the GraphQL piece in a second, but I really want to kind of focus on uh, why AppSync is important, what it does for you. So the first, first feature of AppSync is it's a real-time collaboration at scale. I kind of mentioned that there are all kinds of different backends. Um, uh, like DynamoDB, so you can operate at scale with uh, Dynamo and, and uh, the normal kind of AWS scale. Um, and AppSync builds on top of that to provide real-time collaboration, and we're going to show a, an example of a customer who's actually built something uh, with this feature in mind. The second piece is offline support. We've done a whole bunch of work on uh, working with mobile devices that, as you all know, can go off and online and we need to keep the data in sync. We need to be able to work with the data offline. We need to be able to resolve conflicts and so on. So AppSync is, is taking care of that. We already talked about the multiple data sources. Um, we have right now Elasticsearch, DynamoDB, uh, HTTP data sources for your legacy data, and you can build your own uh, using, uh, using Lambda. So you can wire up Lambda as well. And finally, fine-grained access control. So we've integrated auth directly into this service so that you can manage uh, data at a very fine level and who can have access to that data and what they can do with that data. So you can decide how you want to manage the, the security of your data. The other piece of this is the, uh, the GraphQL. And one of the questions that we often get asked is, why did you pick GraphQL? Why was GraphQL an important part of your design decision? And there are a, a number of reasons why GraphQL is better for the way that people build apps. Um, I think most of you have uh, dug into it, so a lot of this should be familiar. Uh, the data aggregation and data selection allows you to consolidate multiple backends um, into a single API. It allows you to define exactly what data you need, so there's no need for overfetching or underfetching of data. And when you combine those things, you end up with uh, bandwidth optimization uh, as well. Um, the, uh, the, the other areas are a little bit um, kind of uh, more interesting, I guess, from a, from a development point of view. First of all, the rapid prototyping. Um, this enables uh, both client and server teams to iterate independently because you've got the strong contract uh, provided by GraphQL. And the second piece of this is uh, around uh, evolving your APIs and changing the API over time. So it's easier when you can kind of start small and grow your API over time without disrupting how the back end is working. Um, with that, I want to talk about the new features we launched last week. So AppSync now enables uh, pipeline resolvers. Previously, if you wanted to stitch together more than one API or, or a kind of do any kind of orchestration, you would have to do it in a Lambda function at the back end or orchestrate on the client side. That's a lot of bespoke code. It's not necessarily the most scalable and probably not the most secure. So what we've done now is we've given uh, native support for pipeline resolvers. So that's, a, that's a, a big feature in the service. The second feature is uh, Delta Sync. Um, 
This is uh, actually a client-side feature that we've built into the library. Um, previously, you had to essentially, when you went offline and came back online again, if the data on the server had changed, essentially the whole table was pulled down onto the device, and that was a performance issue, especially if the table was large. So with Delta Sync, we look at individual rows that have changed in the data and only bring those rows back. And finally, the third feature is that with the launch of Aurora Serverless as a data API, which happened uh, last week, we also launched support for Aurora Serverless. So for all of those who want to use AppSync with RDS, this option is available. Uh, please note that it's beta, and uh, we will be keeping up with Aurora as they, as they go out to GA. Okay, uh, with that, I want to talk a little bit about customers and what customers are doing with this. Um, so, so this one is uh, actually quite interesting. Uh, Sony has built a companion robot, AI-enabled companion robot. Um, 20,000 of these have already been shipped in Japan, and this is coming to the US, so uh, you guys should uh, definitely check this out. Um, this is built on serverless and IoT, and also AI services, uh, and several others that uh, AWS offers. I'm not sure you can make out that architecture picture, but it's uh, a bunch of AWS services there. They're using AppSync in this situation, in this app, for synchronizing the local data that's collected by the, uh, by the uh, robot back to the cloud and ensuring that um, uh, they can analyze it back in the cloud. So this is all about data sync, one of the key features of AppSync. Um, for those of you who want to check that out, there are some sessions on Thursday still. Uh, where you can go and uh, learn more about that. The second customer case is uh, Cookpad TV. Um, again, these guys have a somewhat different use case. So this is a, a live TV show where customers can interact. I don't think you can make it out, but on the top left, the, the picture actually shows how many clients are connected. There's 25,000 connected clients, um, all chatting and uh, sending likes and dislikes and all this sort of social interaction. All of that fan out to 25,000 users, all of the subscriptions, the real-time updates, that's all happening uh, with the support of AppSync. Okay. The third pillar of, uh, of, of our offering is around developer tools. And uh, uh, for those of you who are familiar with this, uh, we've had a service for a while now called Device Farm. Uh, this enables uh, developers to test their apps, whether they're iOS, Android apps, or web apps, uh, using the latest devices. These are real devices that we host in the cloud, and you can test your app either in parallel, in an automated fashion, so you can test on multiple devices in parallel. Uh, you can also interact with these devices through the browser or a local uh, client app uh, with gestures and swipes and so on, so you can have remote access to these devices. And also, we've integrated with uh, um, uh, your preferred IDEs, such as Xcode and Android Studio, where you can essentially integrate with those devices as if they were locally connected to your uh, development machine. So it's a, it's a great tool for uh, uh, improving the quality of your apps. And finally, the, uh, the, uh, what we've just added is the AWS Amplify console. Um, we launched this on, uh, on Sunday. Uh, this is a new service for deploying, building and deploying uh, static web apps with serverless backends. So all of those CLI features that you saw earlier uh, where you could generate your backend and um, uh, integrate that with your app, this service will essentially take that, build your front end, uh, deploy your backend, 
and also then uh, host it in the cloud. So you essentially have got a, a web app hosted in the cloud. This is great if you're doing blogs uh, or static web pages. Also good if you're doing serverless web apps, and also uh, particularly good if you're doing things like progressive web apps. Uh, and this is built on top of CloudFront and S3 with a whole bunch of features uh, added on, things like um, custom domain setup, uh, continuous workflows. Uh, it's built on top of GitHub, so essentially uh, you can use the branching in GitHub to, to have multiple environments that you could host in parallel and uh, work you know, your dev, uh, your dev uh, prod and uh, uh, any stages you basically that you wanted to, wanted to have. We've also implemented atomic deployments so that you can essentially have a, a green-blue type of deployment uh, scenario where you can quickly uh, switch your, uh, switch your uh, hosted app or page from uh, version one to version two. So uh, this is a great new service. Go and check it out if you've got time. And with that, what I want to do is to quickly conclude on, um, again, how is this all held together? The, the main, the three pieces of this are all held together with the CLI toolchain. The CLI supports CodeGen with the framework. The CLI supports the configuration and management of the cloud services. And the CLI supports the CICD uh, team workflows and multi-environment support um, in the developer tools. So uh, th that combination is, uh, is, is essentially kind of a holistic, integrated developer experience for mobile and web development. Uh, you're going to learn more about that in a few minutes uh, when Michael comes up to show some of these features in action. Um, uh, but before I do that, uh, I want to invite Tom Bray onto the stage. Tom is, um, hang on. Tom is the chief architect for Ticketmaster, and he's going to tell you about their use case and uh, what they're doing with uh, AppSync and GraphQL. Awesome. Thanks, Amit. Hello, everyone. Thank you uh, for joining us today. My name is Tom Bray. And one of the things that I love about my job at Ticketmaster is that I get to help teams adopt disruptive technologies. We're always looking for ways to uh, reduce complexity uh, so that our engineers can spend less time wrestling with complexity and spend more time focused on building amazing experiences for our fans and for our clients. Uh, to give you a few examples of that, we use React Native to simplify mobile development. Uh, we use Next.js to simplify web development. Uh, but most importantly, we are adopting GraphQL across the board. Uh, so today I'd like to tell you a little bit about our GraphQL journey and how AppSync helps us solve some of the challenges that we've faced along the way. So I'll start with why, and I'll talk a little bit about our GraphQL vision. Uh, I'll talk about where we started and some of the problems that we wanted to solve with GraphQL. And I'll talk a little bit about our strategy for how we, uh, how we plan to achieve our GraphQL vision. So let's start with why. So I'd like you to imagine the future uh, through the eyes of this persona. Her name is Sarah Connor. Uh, she's a rock star React developer for a living. Uh, she's also an avid musical theater fan. And her primary objective today is to buy Aladdin tickets. Now, theater productions are long-running shows. There are multiple shows each week. So for Sarah, uh, it's less important about what date she uh, attends the show, and it's more important that she finds the right seats for the right price. So what she really needs is, is an experience where uh, she can shop for seats across dates and compare um, uh, all in one place. 
And that's exactly uh, what we have here on the screen. So there's a date slider along the bottom that you can quickly navigate through all the dates uh, for the entire run of the show. She can tap on each uh, individual date and instantly update the seat map with all the availability uh, for that date. And she has pricing information there as well. So she has all the information she needs to be able to make her purchase decision. So, uh, well, and of course, it's blazing fast. So uh, she's a React developer, so she's curious how we built this. Uh, so she decides to look under the hood, and she realizes that we're using GraphQL to build this. Uh, and in fact, we're making one request, one GraphQL query, to fetch all of the data we need in the shape that we need it, in a tiny payload. So just to uh, zoom out and capture uh, a little bit, give you a little bit of perspective of why this is so important for us, uh, we do uh, approximately 100,000 events a year. So we're working with a massive amount of data, and we need to deliver that data efficiently to a massive number of people. So anytime we can reduce the number of requests that it takes for a user to uh, achieve their objective, uh, that's a big win for us. So let's get back to Sarah's story. She has uh, now decided she's going to select uh, the seats that she wants to buy. While she was looking under the hood, she noticed that we're using GraphQL subscriptions. So we're subscribing to the availability of seats for these events. So she wants to see this in action, so she fires up two browser windows. And on the left, she selects the seats that she wants and reserves them. And on the right-hand side, we see those seats disappear. So being able to push availability data instead of polling for it uh, is a game changer, especially when you consider the fact that we're selling half a billion tickets uh, a year. So uh, in the data that changes the most in our system is availability. So if we zoom out a little bit, our GraphQL vision is to have a single comprehensive GraphQL API that represents the entire fan experience from beginning to end. So that's finding events, that's shopping for seats, uh, that's purchasing tickets, transferring, selling, and attending the events. And the reason this is important is we want Sarah to come and work for us, and we want her onboarding experience and her everyday experience uh, to have as little complexity as possible. So we, on her first day, we want her to be able to sit down and fire up her GraphQL query editor and just start typing and realize that she has all of our data at her fingertips with autocomplete. She doesn't have to dig around and swagger documentation. She has it all right there. So uh, she has this sort of the same experience that the consumer would have of being able, able to have all of the, uh, all of the information she needs uh, to be productive. When I talk about the business value of GraphQL, uh, I talk about the opportunity cost of complexity. Every minute a developer spends wrestling with complexity is a minute she could have spent creating something awesome. So that's why GraphQL. Let's talk a little bit about where we started. Overfetching, underfetching, and client-side complexity. So what you see on the right is the response from a REST API. Uh, uh, the endpoint uh, allows you to fetch metadata about a live event. So uh, this response that you see here represents all the metadata for one event. If you look at the experience on the left, uh, that circle there around Saturday, March 31st, all we need from that response is the start date of that event. And we need that for 200 events to be able to render that date slider. Uh, 
So that's overfetching. We need one field, and we're getting a lot more than that. We're also underfetching because we need pricing information, we need availability data, and that's not part of this response. We need to hit different APIs, different endpoints uh, to fetch that data. Now, if we were to do all the aggregation and transformation of that data on the client, uh, we're introducing a lot of complexity. And we have to replicate that complexity across iOS, Android, and the web. What teams typically do in this scenario is they, they take that aggregation and transformation logic and they move it to what's called a BFF, a back end for your front end. Okay, so this, you're adding a new component to your infrastructure. You, uh, this thing provides a bespoke API for your, uh, your client of choice, and it does the heavy lifting of reaching out to those upstream, uh, the re upstream REST service and transforming that payload, that large payload, into something fit for purpose. Teams also use this approach to aggregate, aggregate data from multiple, uh, from multiple sources. Uh, and transform it uh, to send to the client. But what's happening here is that we're introducing, introducing more complexity. We've added another point of failure. Uh, we've added an, another thing that we need to maintain and operate at scale. Um, and there's a, a better way to do this. We are incrementally replacing our BFFs uh, with, uh, with AppSync. We're incrementally getting rid of our REST APIs and replacing them with AppSync. And dramatically, uh, over time, we'll dramatically simplify our architecture and have one place where we can perform aggregation and transformation. And we can deliver just the data you need in a single request. All right, so let's talk a little bit about uh, how we're going to achieve this. So we're essentially marketing a disruptive technology to internal customers. So we can, we can borrow some learnings from the marketing community. So I'm sure you've all seen this curve, the tech adoption curve. It's divided up into market segments, uh, innovators, early adopters, the early majority, et cetera. Each of these market segments have uh, different motivations, and it's helpful to understand uh, their motivations uh, to be able to help uh, define your strategy uh, for uh, adopting technologies. Um, but that curve isn't actually smooth in the real world. There are gaps in it. And with GraphQL, I would argue that there are two gaps. There's a small one between the innovators and the early adopters, and there's a large one between the early adopters and the early majority. And we need to figure out how to bridge those gaps uh, so that we can achieve our GraphQL vision of widespread adoption of GraphQL at Ticketmaster. So the innovators see the value of GraphQL right away. Uh, they're off to the races. They're, they're building GraphQL APIs, um, which is great. Um, but what you're going to end up with is a lot of GraphQL APIs instead of one single comprehensive uh, API. Uh, that's a challenge that we'll have to unwind over time. But I encourage uh, those teams to uh, start the learning process that way. But when we get to the early adopters, they're looking for a strategic leap forward. So they're really attracted to GraphQL uh, for the performance. You know, being able to fetch the data you need in a single request is a big deal. Being able to push data via GraphQL subscriptions is important. So they're intrigued by that. But they're also the folks who uh, they want to figure out how to actually uh, deploy GraphQL in production. So they have real-world questions. Uh, they want to know how to solve the n plus 1 problem. Uh, 
Uh, what about caching? How do we support WebSockets at scale? So bridging this gap, we need a solution, we need an answer for all of these things. And that's where AppSync really comes in and uh, plays a major role here. Uh, all of these questions are answered by AppSync, especially when you think about WebSockets, uh, terminating WebSockets, being able to use uh, a, a managed service for that instead of uh, taking on the burden of, that, of building that infrastructure ourselves uh, is a huge win. So let's talk about the early majority. So these folks are pragmatists, and they are looking for an increase in productivity. So does GraphQL make them more productive? Well, it really depends on what we're asking them to do. If we're saying, hey, I want you to rewrite all of your REST APIs in GraphQL, then no. Uh, that, that's more work for them. So what is it that we really want them to do? And I would argue what we want them to do is to stop thinking about building APIs and start thinking about building functions. So to illustrate what I mean, here's an example GraphQL query. Uh, we have event metadata, we have availability, we have uh, uh, pricing information. And traditionally, uh, all of this information has been provided by three different teams who haven't had to work to, uh, together before. They have their own APIs and they're able to work independently. So what we're asking them to do now is to uh, contribute functions, resolver functions, to help uh, uh, resolve this query. But we need them to collaborate to do that. So what does the collaboration model look like? So I think there's two different flavors, really. There's, on the left, I have what we call the mono, uh, monolithic API. So this is the idea where you take your GraphQL query engine, your GraphQL schema, and all of your resolver functions, and you bundle them together in a single deployment artifact, and all of the teams are working the same code base and, uh, and uh, uh, coordinating releases together. Um, and that works okay for small teams who uh, are all using the same language, uh, but it really starts to break down in a polyglot environment where you have uh, a lot of teams like we have at Ticketmaster. On the right, we have uh, the AppSync and serverless model. So in this case, the GraphQL query engine is a managed service, so we don't have to worry about that at all. Uh, and we can deploy our schema and our resolvers uh, independently, and we can even use AWS Lambda as a data source. Uh, so all of these teams uh, in a polyglot environment can use the language of their choice uh, for those Lambdas uh, and uh, be able to contribute to this effort without stepping on each other's toes. But what we really want uh, the early majority to do is to uh, adopt an event-driven serverless mindset. So if we take a look at this uh, simplified uh, architecture diagram, we've got a kinesis stream, triggers a lambda, the lambda uh, triggers a mutation, and that fires a GraphQL subscription that updates our uh, real-time seat map. Now, so that's an event-driven architecture, and uh, as teams adopt that mindset and start thinking about uh, their problems in an event-driven uh, model, um, AppSync becomes an obvious choice. Uh, for example, if you, uh, if you were to remove AppSync from this picture, what would you put in its place? You'd have to roll your own uh, solution there, and we would much rather uh, use a managed service in those cases so that our teams can focus uh, and be productive and focus on building amazing experiences for our fans and our clients. So uh, before I leave you, um, I just want to give you one pro tip. Uh, so uh, as you start to learn about AppSync and, and real-time data, 
most of the examples you'll see are about Dynamo and Elasticsearch, uh, which works uh, out of the box with subscriptions. Um, but there is also a, uh, something called a local resolver. And that essentially allows you uh, to turn anything into a real-time data source. And that's what we, we use here. That's how we're powering that real-time seat map. Uh, so with that, thank you. Please follow me on Twitter at Tom Bray, and now I'll turn it over to Michael. Hey, uh, so my name is Michael Paris. I'm an engineer on the AppSync team, and I've more recently been working a lot on Amplify, specifically around the GraphQL support uh, from what Amit showed you, that GraphQL add API command. Uh, what I'm here to do is I'm going to show you some of the things that we've been talking about. So what we're going to do today is I'm going to show you how I built this application that I'm calling ChatQL. Uh, it's a pretty simple React application. It's real time. It allows you to have multiple users. It's basically a group chat app. You sign in. Here you're seeing I'm logging in through a Cognito user pool. I'm then logging in as my little brother, Zach. And as I log in, you're going to see those names appear and I'm going to push. I'm going to start a conversation between Michael and Zach. You saw on the left window that was streamed in real time. And then I'm just going to start typing. So it's a pretty simple chat application, but we're going to step through basically how I built it from scratch using both AppSync, Amplify, the framework, the Amplify libraries, and the Amplify CLI. So when you're going to start building a new web app, uh, the first thing is kind of think about what do you need? So pretty much every application is going to need user management and authorization. Uh, in this application, we're going to need real-time APIs. We're going to need uh, client SDK support and tooling that we can use from our development environment to connect to those services. And we're also going to need to think about our deployment and our operations. So that means we need to have multiple environments. We're always working on a team, so multiple users need to be able to interact with the same code base. You're going to need hosting, so this website has to be somewhere so that our users and customers can go and access it. We're going to need continuous integration and deployment so that as I make changes to my code, I can push it into Git. That's going to start a build, and then that build's going to flow through to my test and production environments. And we're going to need analytics so that once it's running, we want to know how our application's being used. We want to know our session times, how many people are viewing it, what are our customers interacting with most, and we're going to talk about that as well. So how do we get there? We're going to use a lot of AWS services. So the first one is Amazon Cognito User Pools. This is going to serve as our user uh, pool and be our, basically our registry for users, as well as providing authentication credentials that we can use to uh, access the cloud services in our API. We're going to need the real-time API, which is going to be served through AWS AppSync. We're going to need the client SDKs and tooling, which is the Amplify framework. The multiple environments is going to be supported by the Amplify CLI. Hosting and CICD will be through a new product that we released last week called the Amplify Console, and analytics, which is going to be provided through Amazon Pinpoint. So as we mentioned, the Amplify CLI is kind of here to tie everything together. And one of the main things that it does for us is it allows us to really easily and quickly scaffold out projects such that we have the services that we need without having to worry too much about the fine tuning until we need to. So here you can see a sample of how you might do this. This is what you would type in a new terminal window in order to get started really quickly with the Amplify CLI. The first thing you do is run Amplify init. 
This basically sets up your project. It'll create a directory in your project called Amplify that'll have some special things in it that make it easy to control the multiple environments and add new services. Next, we're gonna run Amplify Add Auth. This is gonna create a user pool with best practices cooked in. We're next gonna add Analytics. This is gonna create a pinpoint project that we can use to store analytics about our client React application. And then we're gonna add an API, and this is where things get really interesting. But this is gonna create an API as well as create all of the data infrastructure that lives behind the API so we can get started quickly. Next, we'll run Amplify Push. Amplify Push basically compiles your project into a set of CloudFormation documents, and then all of your resources are deployed through AWS CloudFormation so that you can reliably reproduce environments. So here's a little, uh, here's my terminal. This is me using Create React App, which is a, a popular CLI tool that's not published by AWS, but is, is popular to create new React applications that are ready to be used, and it'll even help you start with PWAs if you so choose. So what this is doing is it's gonna install some, some basic uh, libraries into a new package for me. It's gonna say happy hacking, and then we're ready to go. The next thing I'm gonna do is I'm gonna initialize that Amplify project. You can see here I'm just gonna type Amplify init. This is gonna go ahead and create that Amplify directory in your in your project, which is gonna hold all of the CloudFormation resources and any other things that you need in order to keep track of the multiple environments. It's gonna ask me some cool questions. It's gonna ask me for a name for an environment. I'm gonna name this Sandbox because this is my local development environment. I don't necessarily want this to go to test or prod yet. It's gonna ask me what my code editor of choice is, what language I'm writing in. It actually already knows that I'm building a React application because it detected that I uh, had React uh, assets in my package. And then what it's gonna do is deploy a root stack to CloudFormation that's gonna serve as the entry point to our application. And we're basically gonna use CloudFormation nested stacks in order to manipulate the rest of our resources. The next thing I'm gonna do is run Amplify Add Auth. So this, like I mentioned, is going to create the Amazon Cognito user pool. This is a really great and quick way to add user authentication and user management to any application, whether it be a web app or a mobile app or something else we haven't thought of. So here it's gonna ask for some, if I wanna use a default configuration, I'm gonna say yes, because it comes with um, some smart defaults baked in. It's gonna use email as your primary mode of authorizing your users and authenticating your users. And then with that, it's ready to go. The next thing I'm gonna do is add analytics. So this is what's gonna add the Amazon Pinpoint project. This is gonna serve as an endpoint that I can use to stream analytics from my React application into the cloud, and then you can see things uh, like session time and how many views you're getting and different click events that you've instrumented your app for. It'll also help you chisel down demographics of your users and then you can target them with mobile push and notifications. I'm again gonna use the smart defaults and then just keep going. And that's ready to go. The third thing I'm gonna do is I'm gonna add the API. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna go off on a tangent for a second because there's actually a lot that's going on here. But here you'll see I'll type amplify add API it's gonna ask me if I'd like to use a GraphQL API, but we also support um, API Gateway if you would like to use a REST API. Here we go, select GraphQL. I'm gonna give it a name just for my API. It's gonna ask me how I'd like to authenticate that API. I added auth, I'm using the user pool, so I'm gonna tell it to use a user pool. And then it's gonna ask me if I have a schema. So in this case, I did have a schema. It was already there, and we're gonna look at it in a second. But what I wanna draw attention to is that 
the nice part about this utility is that it's going to let us think about our application's data model kind of at a high level without worrying about all of the details of how it works underneath. So what does that mean? Basically, we're going to use this new tool called the GraphQL Transform that was also open sourced alongside the Amplify toolchain and the Amplify CLI. And what it does for us is it allows us to declaratively define our data models using the GraphQL schema definition language, which is SDL for short. And then that GraphQL schema language is going to get compiled into the CloudFormation document that implements that data model. We're using GraphQL directives to power this. And the way that it works, and it's an open source project, so you guys could contribute and build your own what we're calling transformers. But the way that it works is we've defined a few、uh, directives, which are basically a JavaScript class in the open source project, that whenever、uh, we see a certain directive, it'll do some amount of manipulation into a context. That allows us to manipulate how that CloudFormation document comes out so that you can have a really simple interface. So, I mentioned that it allows you to declaratively define data models. And this is important because I don't want you guys thinking necessarily at the beginning of a project about how your Dynamo tables are going to fit together, what indexes do you need, what are your query patterns. Instead, it'd be nice to be able to think at a higher level that in this case, we have users, there are conversations, and there are messages. We have some kind of high level knowledge of how these things relate to one another. So, a user can have many conversations, and a conversation can have many users. So, that's a many to many relationship. In this case, we're using two one to many's in order to implement that many to many. And then we also have messages where conversations have many messages. And then, me as a user, I write messages, so I have ownership over some of those messages, and therefore, I have many messages. So, this at a high level is kind of what you're thinking when you're starting this project. And then the way that you actually implement this using Amplify and AppSync in the GraphQL transform is with a single schema.graphql file that's been marked up with these special directives. So here's the actual schema for our ChatQL application. And you can see a couple things. First, you see type user, you see that at model directive. At model essentially means store this information in the DynamoDB table and then auto generate some operations that allow me to operate on that data model. In this case, you can see it, I turn them off for some. You can see message, I'm turning subscriptions off and queries off because all we want to do is be able to create those messages. And then we'll actually query those messages through related fields that we'll look at later. And then、uh, you can also see that there's an auth directive. The auth directive in, in the Amplify tra or GraphQL transform and with Amplify basically means that we're going to co generate AppSync resolver code that implements common use cases that、uh, mobile app and web app developers see every day. So, what this means now is we have basic ownership authorization where I can say I should only be able to access this object if I am the owner. If I was the one that created it and I should not be able to read it otherwise or, or update it otherwise, this would be common for like a user model. You wouldn't want other users deleting your user object, so you can use the ownership authorization directive to do that. There's also group authorization that's both static groups, so you can say something like any admin user that's a part of the special admin group can basically have. Uh, full access to an to a object.、Uh, or you can do what we're calling dynamic group authorization, where every object in your database will actually store what groups can access that particular object. And then that authorization check is, is performed on a per object basis. So here I'm now going to go. So that was my schema. That was right after I ran app,、uh, Amplify Add API. I'm now just going to run Amplify Push. And what we're going to see is that that's going to start pushing that CloudFormation document. Into、uh, AWS, and then we're just going to see a stream of all the things that are coming back. 
You can also see you've been given an opportunity to use the code gen utility. Uh, this application was written in plain JavaScript, so we're not using it, but if you were building an iOS or Android application, you'd be able to create native types for your application right there. And then here you can see it's gonna start creating some things. And to keep in mind, we did not have to worry about what these particular assets were, what these resources were, all the fine tuning of it. You can see it all in the CloudFormation document when you get to the point that you need to start being a little bit pickier about how you set these things up, but it's all kind of been set up for us with best practices in mind. So I'm just gonna skip ahead, because we'll look at it again. So what was just created? After that API was, was pushed to the cloud, there were a few things. We created an AppSync API, we created four AppSync data sources, which you can think of as a container that allows us to talk to databases on your behalf using IAM roles. We created 20 AppSync resolvers without you guys even having to think about it. There were create, update, delete, list, get, also connection fields so that I could implement the join between a user and messages, for example, or between the conversation and messages. We added six scope down AWS identity access management roles. So this is one that we, we were able to determine what is the least access we can give to this role so that it's safe and we're not over prescribing. We then created the pinpoint project, the Cognito user pool, and the Cognito identity pool so that we can access objects in S3 using IAM while still authenticating with our API using user pools. So what can we do with it? So that sounds great, but let's look at kind of what the interaction model is now. So just with that setup that I showed you and nothing more, we're able to list users. This is just a GraphQL query that you'd have access to. It has pagination baked in. Uh, you can give it a next token as to kind of move through sets. You can get a user and their conversations. So in the schema, this was implemented as an at connection directive. That allows us to associate objects between two DynamoDB tables transparently, which basically adds relational capabilities to NoSQL data stores. We were able to get a conversation and its messages. So this is what would fill that chat view pane in the main application that we built. And this is just similar to the other, it was implemented with a connection directive. And once we get the conversation, we can get all the messages that are corresponding to that conversation. Under the hood, what's happening is we actually went and provisioned a DynamoDB global secondary index such that we can efficiently query the messages table to find all the messages for a particular conversation. We can also subscribe to new messages and conversations. So this is how you would implement a subscription query using AppSync. Here I'm saying I want to subscribe to the onCreate message. So every time a message is created, I want to get the message as long as it's the same conversation that I asked for. So here I'd say give me all the messages for conversation one, and then this would only yield results if that message was indeed attached to that conversation, which again was implemented through that at connection directive. We can create conversations we can create messages, and we can add users to conversations in the many-to-many -many relationship. So now we've got our backend set up. It's been deployed in my local environment, and it's time to build our application. So here's where the Amplify library comes in. The first thing you do is you're gonna configure the library. So when you ran Amplify push, it's actually gonna create a file called aws-exports.json that's gonna have all your project config in one place. You can just import that file, run Amplify Configure, and now Amplify is ready to talk to your backend. In the application, you saw when I logged in that the, the login window where I was filling in my username and password, doing sign up, I gave it my, my MFA code that came through my email, I did not build any of that. I just put these four lines in my application that came straight from the Amplify 
libraries components that are specifically suited this. In this case, it's React, but like we mentioned, we have support for Ionic and Angular and other platforms. Then we got to the point that we needed to fill data. We needed to get the data from our back end, and we needed to provide it to our application's front end. For that, we're going to use the Amplify Connect component. This, again, I imported from the Amplify library. I then can give it a query. I can give it a subscription query that will subscribe to updates that are relevant to this, this query. And then I just give it a quick function on how to merge those new messages into the query that I first ran. And then from there, I get some nice helpers like loading and error, so I can know if it's an error, I can easily show an error. If it's loading, I can show a loading spinner. And if the data is ready, I can actually render my view. So we didn't have to do any extra work for this. It's just going to work out of the box. And you can see here that I'm calling my get combo query that I showed earlier, and I'm using that on create message subscription, which we saw earlier as well. And here's how you hook it up. The last piece is how do you mutate objects? So this is an example of how you would use the Amplify library in order to create a message. Now, when I call this create message mutation from the API category of Amplify, it's actually going to automatically trigger that subscription because AppSync's doubling as our PubSub broker, and you get that out of the box. The last piece is to instrument analytics. So this is using the Amplify support for the analytics category. This is going to just a simple, no-nonsense way of, of instrumenting your application with, uh, with analytics that you care about. In this case, I'm using the component did mount lifecycle method in React and the window add event listener method in order to calculate the session load or the session time for that particular user visit. So here you can see our application again. This is now running on localhost. This is on my computer. I haven't deployed it anywhere. The back end's in the cloud, but the front end's running through. I just ran npm run start, and I've got the application running. You can see I'll be able to log in, and the same thing is going to happen again. Just show you that the chat's still working. So here you can see it's going to be streamed. I'll click Michael there. That conversation appeared in the, left, the bottom left window. And then here we're going to be able to start talking. So now we've gotten to the point that we've got our application working locally. We now want to start thinking, how do we get this thing into production, and how do we have multiple environments? So this is a new feature that came with the Amplify CLI that allows you to run multiple environments using Git, which is nice because it ties into your existing developer workflow. So here, I, when I started, if you remember, I started an environment called Sandbox. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to add all of my code to my Git repo. I'm going to make an initial commit. That's going to add some files. I'm then going to push that into GitHub in my master branch. The next thing I'm going to do is I'm just going to branch and create a, a dev branch. So what you're not going to see on the screen is I actually went behind the scenes and I changed the word sandbox in the top left of the page to say development in my dev branch. And then you'll see I'll, get, I'll branch again for my production branch. And I'm just going to change that one word to say production just to show you how that works. So I'm going to start two branches. And then I'm going to push, I'm going to check out those branches. I'm going to make that one change, and then I'm going to push that to my GitHub and have now three branches in my GitHub. So I'm going to skip ahead. After we've deployed the GitHub, we're going to deploy our application to the cloud. So when I say deploy the application, I mean the whole thing, the back end, the front end, and I want to see it happen as soon as I run a Git push. So how do we do that? This is where the new Amplify console comes in. So this is a streamlined experience for CI, CD, and hosting, web hosting for uh, web apps on AWS. So I'm going to connect my GitHub. That's actually using GitHub OAuth. It's then going to start listing all my repositories. 
and all I'm going to do is select the repository that I want to deploy. So in this case, ChatQL React, and I'm going to select a branch that I'd like to deploy as well. I'm first going to do the dev branch, and then later you'll see we'll do the prod branch. So what's happening now is Amplify is going to configure basically a build environment for us. It's got a build spec. That's what that file is. And I'm going to give it a service role that gives Amplify permission to touch resources in my AWS account so that it can actually do the deployment uh, and, and push the, my backend through CloudFormation in my account. So as soon as this is going, it's going to start a build. So you'll see it'll just take a second. But it, this is going to go. It's going to provision a container that can actually run my build. It's then going to run through that build spec where I can add my own individual testing steps. It'll even call out to CloudWatch events so that I can add custom Lambda functions that might do some sort of more complex integration testing. And then here you'll see I'm going to actually add the production branch as well. And then we'll watch as that build step works. So here I'm just adding the production branch. We're now going to have two environments that are managed by the Amplify console. And that's going to be dev and prod. Save and deploy that one as well. So here you see our project view. The top, you can see the dev environment. The bottom, you can see the prod environment. You can see that we're currently in the provisioning step. That'll take just a few minutes. And then it'll move from provision into build, into deploy, and then into verify. You can see that the provision, you get nice logging. So all of the, the operations that are happening on the container that we're managing on your behalf, you can get insight into actually what's happening behind the scenes. And then this will just go. You'll see provision finishes. It'll then get into build, where it's actually running an Amplify build, which is going to build both my backend, but it's also going to build a production version of my front-end React application. And it's going to take those production assets, push it to S3, and then deploy that through a CloudFront CDN. And then the trick of the atomic, the atomic swapping is a, a nice add that uh, uses Lambda at Edge. So here you can see I've got my clone my repo. It then built my backend. It then built my front end. <clears throat> it deployed it to S3. It swapped using the atomic deployment. And then it continued going. So once that's ready, I just want to show you what it looks like from the end product. So now we've got our dev and our prod branches again. This is the same view you saw. In the verify step, it's actually using a headless browser to take the, it'll actually go read the page uh, from your deployment. And it'll show you what your website looks like on multiple different form factors out of the box. So it'll show me what it looks like on an iPhone, on an Android phone, on, different, on a tablet, on a desktop. And you can kind of just get going that way. And then here you can see in the top left, we've got ChatQL in development. <clears throat> that's because this is the development branch that's actually been deployed and pushed to the cloud from the Amplify console. Here it's going to send me my MFA code again. I'm going to go ahead and log in. And then we're going to get that same experience that we had from the beginning. And here's me chatting again with my brother in production. So I saw dev. We're now seeing production. And then we're just going to have chat com conversation back and forth. So what's really nice about this is that this took me about 15 minutes to do. Uh, we did not have to think about DynamoDB tables. We did not have to think about global secondary indexes. We didn't have to think about how those things kind of interrelate, uh, especially you didn't have to go read any documentation to figure that out. We just had that really simple schema file. And then at the point that you need to get more fine-tuned, we give you complete access to do so via safety hatches because it's all through CloudFormation. So if you need to take something and, and tweak it a little bit, that's totally your prerogative to do so. So to close, just want to I hope that showed you a little bit about how the Amplify toolchain fits together, 
how we were able to use the Amplify library and framework components in order to connect our cloud, the cloud components to our front-end application, how we were able to provision those cloud services really quickly using the Amplify CLI, and then the developer tools of the CI-CD pipeline that came, for, that came out of the box with the Amplify console, and then just deployed it into production. And now every time I make a change to that, that repo, I'm going to do a git push. It's going to make that change, and we're going to see that flow through to production right away. So that's all we had for you. I uh, really hope you enjoyed the talk. Uh, thanks for listening. And then please fill out the session or the survey at the end of the day. Uh, if you have more questions, we have more sessions tomorrow. There's MOB 301, where I'll be giving a more in-depth conversation about how I built that ChatQL, but a live demo. And also MOB 310, where they took a version of that ChatQL and then moved it and added AI services as well as offline support. That's a really cool demo that I would recommend checking out as well. Thanks, and have a great day.